Hi, everybody. This is Mark Graben from Kinexus, and I'd like to welcome you to today's webinar titled Pursuing Zero Harm, a powerful platform for embedding lean capability, which is going to be presented by Megan Scanlon from the firm Value Capture. Before I introduce Megan, I just want to touch on some of the webinar logistics. She's going to present for about 45 minutes. We will leave time for Q&A at the end. And as always, I encourage you, feel free to enter and submit questions at any time using the GoToWebinar meeting panel, which may look like what you see on screen there. And we will handle uh, and address the questions at the end of our time together. If you want to share this webinar or revisit it, you will receive a recording link and uh, the slides uh, within 24 hours via email. But if you want to take a look at those now for the purposes of note taking, you can look under the handouts section of the GoToWebinar control panel. Or if you look in the chat box, there is a link um, to where you can view and download those via SlideShare. So I'd like to introduce today's presenter, Megan Scanlon. She is a principal with the firm Value Capture. She's been with them for five years. She is also a certified facilitator for the Shingo Institute, and she has a BS from Penn State in industrial and manufacturing engineering. Megan has nearly 18 years of experience implementing and sustaining transformational improvements in healthcare organizations. Recently, she helped lead value capture support of the University of Virginia Health System's Be Safe performance transformation effort. Previously, she spent nine years as a senior lean consultant in Johnson & Johnson's Value Metrics Services organization. And that's actually where Megan and I first met back in 2005, and we had the chance to work together there for four years. Uh, Megan has extensive experience developing hospital employees from the front line to the C-suite as lean practitioners and change agents, working with cross-functional groups to transform their performance and service levels developing plans to implement change at all levels of an organization, identifying critical performance measures, and creating management tools needed in order to manage and sustain improvements. Prior to her work at Valumetric Services, she spent over three years internally within Johnson & Johnson, where she attained her Lean Six Sigma Black Belt, applying process excellence in areas of uh, operations, supply chain, and IT. And so with that, I will hand things over to Megan. Thank you, Mark. Welcome, everyone. I'm excited to be here today. As we get into our topic of pursuing zero harm, I wanted to, to share something that we at Value Capture use when we're partnering with an organization called a safety briefing. It's interesting now since, of course, we're not all in the same room or in the same space, but I encourage you to take a look around the room that you're in right now. What do you see? Are there any cords or cables located in the path that would lead you to an exit? Do you know where your exits are, not just from the room you're in, but in the event of emergency? Do you know what the plan would be in order to make sure that you are safely able to leave the building you're in? Thinking about these things together here with Mark, I wanted to call out to him that we do have a cable plugging in for the computer that prohibits the flow around the room. Yep. So to be careful of that. Mark, do you see anything else in the room that we should be aware of? No, I think I have a clear path to the other side of the table where I'm going to get out of the way and let you present. Perfect. All right. Thank you. This leadership behavior of using a safety briefing at the beginning of all meetings or interactions can be a great way to start demonstrating the focus of safety and the, the um, importance of it in an organization. We want to think about this as we consider what it means to really instill behaviors of respect and safety within our organizations and work and what it means to change behaviors for that focus. So in our time today, I hope that we can learn the power of zero harm as a goal to accelerate improvement throughout your organization, understand the importance of safety as an organizational value and how to use it to engage people in improving their work, and to learn how to focus on safety and how that can be used to embed lean capability. First, as Mark introduced me, I, uh, I do work for Value Capture. Just to share a little bit about what we do, we are a principles and values-based firm that is working in healthcare to improve how care is delivered. Interesting thing about healthcare is that we all at some point in our lives are consumers of it. It is an industry that serves us all and the importance of being safe and receiving quality care is something that matters to all of us, I think, on a principal level. I think I didn't share the screen. 
okay. Thank you. Hopefully now you can see me. Well, not me, but my slides. Uh, as I was saying, uh, Value Capture is a principle-based uh, healthcare firm with a passion to eliminate harm in North American healthcare. We have over 15 years experience partnering with organizations that have a similar drive and focus within the healthcare realm. I hope today to not just focus on healthcare itself, but to really transcend that industry and to get to the universality of some of these concepts and values and principles that when applied in your organization with the proper focus and leadership behaviors can accelerate and drive an organization ability to transform and improve operationally for sustainable success. It's not changing. One second, technical difficulty. Sorry. Okay. As Mark mentioned, Value Capture and myself are Shingo affiliates. The importance for me in, in my belief in the Shingo model is this clear delineation between principles and behaviors. Infusing and having a value focus in an organization and understanding how systems, tools, results lead to the culture and behavior of an organization can be critical and to think about as you start to plan a transformation strategy. We're a proud affiliate of Shingo and use it and learn from it every day. One of the key things that I take away from thinking about this model and what it can mean to your organization and leadership is the idea that the systems that exist in any organization are perfectly designed to produce the results that you are getting. So focusing on what gaps and opportunities or problems exist in organizations should lead always to improvement of those systems and understanding how the processes affect those systems. This idea that we can design ideal behaviors into a system that connects tightly to values and principles is one that I think is really important as we look to think about our transformation journey. A key influence for value capture is Paul O'Neill. He was the CEO of Alcoa from 1987 through 2000, where he transformed that organization on a premise of safety and that no one should come to work and experience harm. We are proud to be affiliated with him and to have him as an, a heavy influence in our journey and in our business and share his passion around how healthcare can be improved and a focus on safety. One of the key things that Paul has taught to us that is to think about from an organizational perspective, the following three questions. So we think that for organizations that have the potential to be great, you should be able to answer yes to these questions every day. The first is, am I treated with dignity and respect by every person I encounter without regard to race, gender, educational attainment, rank, or any other distinguishing feature? Am I given the tools, training, resources, and encouragement I need to make a contribution to the organization that adds meaning to my life? And am I recognized for that contribution by someone whose opinion matters to me? The interesting thing for me about that last bullet is it doesn't say, am I recognized for that contribution by my leader or my boss? It's really thinking about who in the organization do I value and respect myself? And am I getting that feedback or response or, or validation of what it is that I do? I encourage you to think about these three questions and how you would answer them. How would your staff answer them? How would the leaders in your organization answer them? If every day everyone cannot say yes to all three questions, there's a lot of opportunity and things to work on, not just from a, a, a lean or a principle process focused per perspective, but also there's some cultural implicators and indicators within that that can be addressed. I'm not here to tell you about Alcoa's story or Paul's, but just to know so something that we often hear is this idea of is zero possible. A lot of us, especially those that might have more technical backgrounds, might think that zero isn't possible. Perfect is unattainable. How can we set up a goal such as zero? Doesn't that demotivate or demoralize people when it's obviously not something that's easily attainable? I offer this to show what Alcoa's story looked like, not just during Paul's tenure, but on after. As I said, he joined in around 1987 and he left in 2000, where you see actually a blimp in the total blip in the total recordables, lost work days. The idea of 
using zero as a platform and as a goal so that you can uh, have sustainable long-term change that can withstand leadership changes, can withstand uh, the test of time, can really be something that even after leaders may move in and out of organizations, it gives you that focus that you need is attainable and possible. You can see with over 300 sites within Alcoa, um, by 2011, that 82% of those sites had zero lost work days and 44% of those sites had zero recordables. So were they perfect? No. Was the journey yielding what they expected? Were they instilling and infusing the right values into the organization with principled leadership and embedding and understanding how to systematically reduce harm to improve processes and the management principles and behaviors needed to sustain long-term change? Absolutely. If you think zero isn't possible, I invite you to learn more about the Alcoa story and others like it that can help you start to see what that is. It isn't a perfect everywhere, every day zero attainment, but it is about setting the goal and acknowledging that no harm is acceptable. So as influenced by Paul O'Neill, value captures approach follows what a lot of us would be familiar with is the scientific method or PDSA. We first wanna understand and assess the current state and understand the needs that we're looking to accomplish. Then aligning around true north goals, which I'll get to in just a moment, all leadership levels and setting that strategy and vision forward. And then as most of us are familiar, it's about how we do three basic things. How do we enable ourselves to call out and solve problems every day to root in real time? How do we then use the information we get from the real-time problem solving to systematically redesign and improve our value streams or pathways? And what are the management system needs that exist that we need to develop in our organization in order to sustain and prioritize these changes? The goal at the core of all of this work is to develop people, transform the work, and improve and spread. And so the approach, I think, in a lot of ways sounds very simple and, and in line with what a lot of folks who are embarking on a lean improvement journey might be familiar with. And I think that how we use this and infuse the safety focus into it is something that can really accelerate and engage and empower an organization towards rapid improvement sustainably. So here's the challenge. What if no one ever fell? What if no one ever acquired an infection in our care? What if no one ever injured their back moving anyone or anything? What if no one ever got hurt at work? What would need to be true in your organization for this to be a reality? What leadership behaviors? What processes? What problem solving? What level of engagement from leaders, staff, um, stakeholders? There's a role for everyone in a true organizational change like this. And keeping that challenge in mind that any harm is a problem, problems are gifts, and problems are meant to be solved, learned from, and improved is key to how you rally an organization towards improvement. So if that's our challenge, why is zero so important? It's just, to me, a lot of this idea of true north, a true north goal versus an operational or incremental target. The idea behind why zero is that, as I earlier stated, if we think about that our current systems are perfectly designed and capable of producing the results we get, the idea that to truly get to zero, to truly get to perfect, to truly eliminate harm will require us to think completely differently than we do right now. So often when we have incremental targets or we have stepwise um, goals or improvement, we can get bound by the constraints that exist in our system. It can be hard to think outside the box, if you will. Setting a target as aspiring at zero can really force us to think outside the box, to realize that we need to completely tear down everything that exists today, forget life as we know it, and really look towards what is it that we have to drastically change in order to get there. It can be a really powerful thought exercise that really encourages folks to rethink the way we do everything. It gives us a measurable goal also. 
safety is an interesting thing to focus on in that way, because while it can be thought of as a quality metric, it's very quantitative. Sometimes with quality measures, the qualitative nature of them or the, the inherent good we feel by improving things in that way doesn't give us a lot of ways to actually show things quantitatively improving and progressing over time. Having an ability to have a focus and a rate of progress and a goal that is zero harm gives us a very tangible way to do that. So now we've talked a little bit why zero is important. One is too many, none is acceptable. Now let's talk a little bit more about why safety. Something as practitioners and improvement or leaders of change that we know is this theory of change management and the importance of its role in, in improvement initiatives in general. So a big thing with change management is understanding the why behind why something is happening. A key piece of this is how do we tap into and, and win the hearts and minds of our organization? It's gotta be something that speaks to them. It's gotta be something that is universally applicable to all of us. And that can be a really difficult thing to find, especially thinking of all the different industries that exist, um, and then the different levels of leadership, the potentially different products that exist within different organizations. What's something that unifies all of us in our work? It's actually that the people are the ones doing the work and people don't want to be harmed. I firmly believe that nobody gets out of bed saying that they wanna go do a bad job today or have a, a, a harm event happen to them. And so using safety as a value is something that as people is relatable and universal to all of us. And it's something that is measurable as we talked about already and unassailable. One of the things I love about safety in my experience in working in healthcare um, and as a change agent and improvement professional is that oftentimes the conversation about why we're doing something or that kind of argument, well, what, what if we focus on this? What, why are we focusing on time? We should be focusing on inventory. Why are we focusing on this? What are all the different measures that you might be thinking about improving when you go on an improvement venture? Using safety as that focus is not something that's arguable by folks. There's not that um, potential for conversation to mitigate and, and get people on board with you. It really does speak to the hearts and minds of everyone and isn't something that people tend to contest. That allows your organization to then spend all of that time, talent, and energy on the things that matter, which is how are we actually going to make this market long-term improvement and not get stuck in the in the line, so to speak. We can, we can get to improvement in our journey a little bit faster. Something that I think is important when thinking about safety is we, we expand the definition of safety beyond, I think, what is most intuitive to people, which is physical safety. I think we can all think about what harm looks like in our own spaces. Um, and in a unique industry such as healthcare, you also think about not just the harm of the person doing the work, but the harm of your product or patient in that work. And so there's interesting ways that you can think about safety. To broaden that definition, it's important to also consider emotional safety. And we define this as focusing on who to blame for problems. And to me, I take it even a step further about not just who to blame, but as people, we have this innate desire to accept blame for problems as well. So if you've ever heard someone say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, that was my bad, I, I just wasn't thinking, or I didn't do something the way I normally do it, and accepting that blame, that's something that people tend to do. But really calling that out as a, an emotional safety item is important because any type of problem that occurs is perfectly produced by the systems that exist. And so we wanna be able to learn from all of those problems and all of those problems are opportunities to improve. So we need to help coach people and develop to not accept people as the root of a problem, that people have something to learn and that our systems have vulnerabilities in them, our processes can be improved so that we don't have that blame element of people and we can make improvements. And the third one type of safety that we use is professional safety. The ability to call any issue observed or experienced without fear of repercussion or punitive action. The power in this for me is really about how as people we interact and we treat each other sometimes um, as we're 
as we're communicating. Communication is hard and it's not something to be taken for granted. And, you know, it's never perfect. I used to joke that, you know, I've never left an organization or even walked away from a project. And when I get feedback for what we can do better next time, I've never had someone say, you know what, next time, communicate a little less. We didn't need to know as much as you shared with us. It's always the opposite, right? So for me, professional safety, knowing that communication and change management is so uh, can be challenging, but is so important. One of the keys with professional safety is it gives us a process way to talk about facts and to keep it away from focusing on the people. If I don't feel professionally safe in a situation because maybe someone's talking about um, a problem that existed and my department happened to be a supplier of a part or a product to them that they then used but then found an error and experienced harm with. Obviously, that wasn't the intent of me or my staff to provide them with a part that wasn't going to do what it is that they needed. But it can feel very personable, personal to have someone talk about my processes or me in that way. And so when we find ourselves feeling defensive or being triggered in certain interactions where we're getting a little bit passionate, which is a good thing, about the problems and issues that we're working to solve, recognizing that that's us responding or being triggered by not feeling professionally safe in those situations is a great way for us to interact and diffuse sometimes heightened emotions that can come out of the hard work of problem detection, calling out and solving. So thinking about what professional safety is and its role in your organization can be really important if we're looking to really bring everyone into your process improvement So now that we've expanded the definition of safety beyond what might be intuitive, this idea of everyone every day is another key, um, another key to organizational long-term change. Typically, organizations have different levels of leadership, and the leaders themselves are the rock stars with problem solving. Right? You might even be promoted to different levels of leadership based on your ability to solve problems effectively and quickly. That is a great thing and a great skill and a great development path. And there are ever only going to be so many leaders in an organization. If we think about how many leaders might exist, say 300 leaders in an organization of 10,000, if we can expand and think about what it would take or how many problems we could solve to include everyone and develop everyone's ability to solve problems, think about the potential and how many problems we could solve. Think how much better we could get every single day if we were able to leverage the power of every single person in the organization towards improvement. The potential for everyone to be able to solve problems is great. And it also, to me, hits a little bit more on how do we live respect? What does respect look like? And this idea that the people who are most equipped to solve problems are the people who are actually doing the work. And so a big way to show respect in an organization is to include the people who are doing the work in the problem solving. And that will, again, help to accelerate the amount of improvement you can have because of the amount of people that you have focused on it and change the leader's role a little bit into more developmental in coaching as we work to develop the capability of the organization to solve problems. Now, as I talked earlier about how we would do real-time problem solving and also then think about how we look at our value streams or pathways and more systemic types of improvement, the idea of incident prevention is important to think about. You see this triangle that we use, and, and we know that the most severe injuries and incidents occur the fewest amount of times. So when we think about how we want to solve problems, obviously, if we focus on harm, we want to learn from all harm events. Hopefully, in most organizations, there aren't that many harm events. So we have to think about that as our reactive. How are we going to react and solve problems? that means there was an incident that happened. Where we can win in a bigger way by engaging everyone in the organization is developing their potential and understanding on how to see problems and to proactively prevent incidents from happening. Because even though we might have a lot of 
or few incidents that happen, we have a lot of times where we have a good catch or a near miss or something that can still be learned from where a risk exists that just didn't happen to leave and in a harm event, harm event at that time. I'll sometimes talk about thinking of uh, layers of Swiss cheese stacked up on top of each other. Each layer of Swiss cheese has holes in it. These holes you can think of as process or system vulnerabilities. And sometimes when you stack Swiss cheese on top of each other, the holes line up just right and you get an adverse event. Responding to just the adverse event and not thinking about how you can respond and understand and learn from all the holes in the Swiss cheese really limits your impact and the organization's ability to learn. So really thinking about how we can be more proactive in our problem solving and share what we learn from the events that do happen can help because not everyone should have to experience the same harm in order to prevent that harm from happening elsewhere. Sure. If you can repeat it, we had a question that come in. What, what is FSI and RWD, LWD? Thank you. Absolutely. So FSI is fatality and serious injury potential. So at that level of the triangle, there are injuries that have the potential to be fatal or serious, but you might not have a fatality or serious injury result because of a good catch um, or a near miss or, you know, some might say luck. Uh, and lost work day is at the top. Thank you. What's the R? It equates to lost work day. Okay. So incident prevention and thinking about safety is not just the absence of injuries, but rather the presence of defenses is another important thing to think about in the organization. Not just how are we reacting to the events that do occur, but how are we getting better across the board to prevent those acts from happening in the same way ever again. And we think about that and what it takes to embed lean into our organization in order to have that sustainable long-term improvement. And we talk about these four different capabilities from Steven Spears' high velocity edge. So the first capability is to be able to see problems as they occur. The second, to swarm and solve problems as they are seen. Then to spread that new knowledge so that everybody can learn across the organization. And the fourth capability about how do we develop all of those capabilities of see, solve, and share within the organization. So we're gonna talk about this and what it could mean in an organization focusing on safety. So again, I know we're not all in the room together, but I'm gonna invite us all to read out loud what you see next. Paris in the, the spring. Did you say both thes? Did you see both of them? Or did your brain do what I call autocorrect and just gloss over the, one of them and just read Paris in the spring? As humans, our brains are, tend to skip details. We don't always see everything exactly as it is. And that bias is a problem when it comes to being able to see and solve problems. So it's important that seeing be something we develop as a skill within our organization so that we can see things and denormalize them, for lack of a better word. One of the ways and tools that we use to help develop that capability with folks is to have them start to see hazards and search for hazards, really, in their work. So what I've put here is the 10 different types of hazards that, we ex that exist, with some examples of each one. A lot of them are environmental-based, and right, have you might have folks in your organization with specific skills um, or expertise in these areas that help and respond, let's say, if there's a chemical spill or if there's some sort of mechanical or electrical harm potential. The one I think where there's the most potential, aside from being very aware of what all those different um, hazards are, is the one of motion and wasted motion specifically. I think it's you would be hard pressed to think of a safety event or a harm event that occurs without some sort of motion involved by a person. And so really thinking about how we move and interact with our environments and the processes that dictate how we move and interact in our environments is a huge potential and a huge opportunity to develop this crucial capability of being able to see where risks are, where hazard or harm potentials can occur. It's a critical skill set, 
especially thinking about zero harm. And along with that, authorizing stop work unless individuals feel safe empowers that engagement and demands that we all develop these safety eyes to see. And thinking about the scale of what is Learning from harm is important no matter what, but if we think about the maturity that it takes, you know, the, the lowest level of maturity is that we experience harm ourselves and then are able to learn from it. We get a little more mature when we are able to learn from the experience of others. And we know that we are on a path where we have the best set of uh, criteria in place where we can maximize our learning ability and accelerate our ability to improve as an organization where we can be trained to recognize hazards so that we don't even need to have a harm event occur before we are triggered and we are calling out a problem that we can then learn from. So the second, second capability around solving when we think about safety one of the things that is critical is that as an organization every harm event will be solved to root cause and will be learned from. So what does that mean? There's a real-time element to the real-time problem solving. Something critical about solving problems in real time is obviously the speed with which we're able to solve a problem. You can think about um, criminal activity, for instance. You have a much better chance of solving a crime or getting to root in our example, the quicker you're able to collect information from when the crime occurred. So the same is true with solving any problem. If we truly wanna to get to root cause, and by root cause, I mean, how can we learn what was at the root of this problem and then be able to solve it or address that root cause to ensure that we never experience this problem again for that same reason. And not just by the person who experienced it, but for then anyone in the organization. So speed is really key. And so leaders being able to show up when harm events occur and to facilitate and coach through that problem solving so that you can understand the very unique circumstances that led to an unfortunate harm event is critical with real-time problem solving. Also, thinking about how we then learn from the themes that might occur for the problems that we are detecting and working to solve every day. And sometimes you need to take a more systemic approach or value stream pathway approach to that improvement is an important aspect of the capability of solving that needs to be developed. One of the things that I think is worth mentioning is that as we look at how organizations who are really trying to focus on this, we're not talking about you know, incremental improvement over time. The organizations that do this best and engage all leaders of the organization in these capabilities should expect to reduce harm events by 50% year on year. Setting your organization on that path and understanding the impact that you should be able to see is a way to help you understand how you're measuring and engaging and accelerating your improvement within your organization. The third capability around sharing, I think is particularly interesting within a lot of organizations, regardless of the size. It's this whole idea of how do we know and how do we learn from each other what we can do in prevention after there's been an event. So I sometimes think about the three levels of sharing. First is you wanna share within the immediate area. Obviously, if I have an incident in the cafeteria, I wanna make sure that the cafeteria staff all understand what harm exists, what new processes might be in play, what improvements we might've made in order to ensure safety and assure that that problem doesn't happen ever again. Then another way to think about sharing is potentially within a service line or within this one's physical plant or this one operation we have? How do we share broadly across? Because even though it was something that happened in the cafeteria, there might be something that's similar in another process that exists. There might be pinch points for fingers and doors in many different areas that aren't just limited specifically to a cafeteria setting from which everyone has a risk of harm that we can learn from. And then thirdly, thinking about sharing across the enterprise. These are things that are very easy to say, and folks spend a lot of time talking about what it means to share and learn from each other. And this is something that's really challenging in a lot of organizations. And something that can really help with that is this idea of a transparent data system with real-time information embedded in it. 
it's critical that we put the onus of problem solving, not just on the people who have unfortunately experienced harm, but how are we engaging the rest of the organization in seeking out and looking for risks or harms that have been experienced or prevented in other areas so that we can learn from them ourselves. This is not a simple or a a simple thing, it's quite complex, but the organizations that do this best really focus on a transparent data system where that can access real-time information so that everyone everywhere every day also has a responsibility to put information in and pull information out of with the spirit of we will get better every day, we will be safe every day. And the fourth capability that we talk about is this idea of how do we coach or develop people to become problem solvers. This might require a little bit of different focus for the leaders in your organization, for them to show up as coaches and not be the ones showing up to solve the problems themselves. But how, do a how does a leader show up and coach and be expected to develop their people to be able to see, solve, and share? Establishing professional safety is key in this instance as well. Everyone must feel that they are respected and that their voice is important and their experience and lens for which they see the work is important in being able to solve problems. Engaging everyone every day in problem solving is also key in this. Again, the people who are experts in the work are the people who do the work. And so their voice and their Ability to solve problems will only accelerate your organization's ability to sustain long-term change. A lot of us as improvement professionals also, it's important to think about what does it mean to coach versus implement? And that's something that I think as we mature in careers, at least for me, I know it was it was something that I learned and, and now very much appreciate. We You can't come into any area and, and push or implement a solution to them. It's got to be done with them. So I think a lot of us, as we think about change management and what that means and how it makes us better implementers or practitioners of improvement, but this idea of coaching, that if I am improving on your behalf, while that might make me feel good and might get us some short-term gains, it is me fishing for you. And the real way the organization will accelerate and see transformational improvement that can be sustained long-term is going to be by everyone's ability to be able to get better. And so engaging everyone every day in the role that I play as a coach versus someone who is a, an implementer, so to speak, is an important thing to think about and develop within your organization. So for me, a lot of this is about how do we flip the switch in our organizations for how we think about problems, for how we think about improvement, for how we think about safety and its impact in our day-to-day. -day. So how can we go from what do we, how we react to what things happen to what can we learn from them? At the end of the day, this is all about how we can take these opportunities or problems, gifts, as I mentioned earlier, and truly learn from them so that those learnings can be applied universally throughout the organization to make each of us better with every incident. So how do we flip that switch? What would it take for you to change that within your, uh, your vernacular day to day? to stop reacting, to stop firefighting, and to truly take problems and be able to dissect them and learn from them so that the organization can get better and never suffer the same problem in the same way more than once. So I'd like to challenge all of you in next steps is to think about what it would take in your organization to truly solve safety problems to root to think of them like you would any other opportunity that exists for improvement, but each harm event that happens to have the time, rigor, discipline to solve them to root. Also, thinking about how to transparently share problems as risks across the organization so that not everyone has to experience harm in the same way before we can learn from it and work to prevent those incidents from occurring. And then also to consider what it would mean to build safety focus into your daily work. One of the things we did at the beginning of our time together in this webinar was to think about what is a safety briefing. That leadership behavior alone really gives everyone the understanding that this is something that is completely important and it's of focus in the organization. Doing safety walks. We talked about how you see problems. How do you train your eye and develop that capability? 
having that focus and doing a safety walk in our daily work. And then as we see these safety issues or we start to get better at detecting risks in our processes and in our daily environment and in, in our spaces, what do we do about those things? And how do we then proactively mitigate those risks through problem solving that then can be shared across the organization? Thinking about these key principles and opportunities that exist within your organization can lead to a zero is possible. Change is there. Generational success is possible. Zero is possible with the right engagement and leadership strategy, with the right focus and capability development of all of your people within the organization to see, solve, share, and coach people to be able to see, solve, and share. With leadership, all things are possible. Well, thank you, Megan. Thank you for um, thought-provoking and, and challenging thoughts. And um, we're going to have a good amount of time for Q&A here. So I, I want to go ahead and continue um, inviting those questions. And before we get to Q&A, we're going to do a few announcements. And then I'm going to apologize for the technical difficulties that were actually mark difficulties or process difficulties. And have a couple maybe reflections to share about that. Well, it's never the person, Mark. It is the process. So I'm sure we'll learn about that process well, together. We'll talk about time. that a little bit and, and, and not to detract from Q&A. But I do want to mention um, <clears throat> upcoming Kinexus webinars. You can register for all of these at kinexus.com slash webinars. You can sign up to be notified via email of new webinars. Uh, coming up tomorrow, if you are a Kinexus customer, we invite you to join uh, Matt, Ban Matt Banna and Ryan Rippey uh, for what's formally called Kinexus Training Team Office Hours. Informally, we call it the Banna and Rippey Show. You can register for that and learn about some of the latest and greatest features in Kinexus. Our next presentation webinar that's open to all is going to be on March 6th. It's actually coming up next week. Barry O'Reilly is going to be our presenter. He's uh, the author of an excellent book um, called Unlearn. And in the webinar, he's going to be talking about why great leaders must unlearn uh, to succeed in today's exponential world. As, as the world is changing at an increasingly fast pace, how can we unlearn before we learn and find breakthrough performance? That's going to be the theme of Barry's uh, presentation. We invite you to check out our Kinexus podcast series. The audio of today's webinar will be published in the podcast as always. You can subscribe at kinexus.com slash podcast and, and through the usual places you find podcasts. The most recent podcast is a, a six minute discussion with Barry, uh, kind of previewing uh, the, his webinar. You can also find that if you go to leanblog.org, it's still on the front page there. We have other resources. You can find um, all of our past webinars in uh, our on-demand library. You can find a link to that at kinexus.com slash webinars. Uh, this webinar will be in that library, and some of my mistakes will be thankfully edited out. Um, but we um, encourage you to check those out and to also check out the Kinexus blog at blog.kinexus.com. So, I, I inadvertently demonstrated how we are all human. I find new ways of doing that every week, it seems. And the technical difficulties, as, as Megan so kindly described them, was frankly me failing to hit the share screen button when I started the webinar. I don't think I've ever made that mistake before. It's on the checklist that I have in front of me, and I had so proudly completed most of that checklist 15 minutes before the webinar. But... When I hit start, I failed to hit share. Now, partly I think I say, well, I'm, I'm in a number of ways a little bit out of normal process because normally, uh, well, so Megan and I are in the same room right now. Normally the presenter is remote and they're sharing their screen. And if I haven't prompted them to do that, I see that. Where here I was seeing the slides and I didn't put two and two together. But within Kinexus, Matt Banna pulled the and on cord. He texted me and was nice. And he asked, are there supposed to be slides. He didn't say, hey, dummy, you didn't share the slides, referring to me, of course. Um, he did that respectfully. And I appreciate that he pulled the and on cord because that was fixable. So I think in terms of professional safety, I don't fear that Megan is going to chew me out after the webinar. I don't think anyone at Kinexus or Value Capture is going to do so because I, I think, you know, yelling at me wouldn't help. I already feel bad enough about having that mistake. And I think all I can do is 
reflect and and just be more disciplined about the checklist. So I'm like uh, an airplane. Wasn't a matter of life and death, but, but I apologize for that. Well, thank you. We have um, questions coming in. Um, question from Jenna. What's your opinion about leadership who say it doesn't matter how we get there as long as we get there? So we'll start with just an easy question right out of the gate. <laughs> um, yeah. it's so a deep question. A deep question. Question. Absolutely. Oh, it went away. Yeah, so but, leadership that says it doesn't matter how we get there, just that we get just there. Just demanding results. Yeah. I think that having leaders go and see and really learn and appreciate what it takes to solve some of the problems that exist. Um, the other for me, of course, you know, we coach very hard to leaders to say that it's not just about solving problems. We care about how problems are solved. And we say that to say that we want to use the scientific method to solve problems so that we can not only solve problems to the best of our ability and effectively, but also so that it becomes a problem solving methodology that is easily taught to others. Because if we think about our capabilities of not just see, solve and share, but developing people's ability to see, solve and share, being able to develop folks to be able to solve requires that we have a way to solve problems. And so I think that um, it's it can be very challenging if leaders don't want to acknowledge that how we get to problems is important. And that to me shows that there's some potential in um, thinking about the principles and values that we want to instill in the organization and also appreciating what not living by those principles or ignoring those principles and values might do to some of the behaviors we could expect to see. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for coaching and growth on that and understanding more the current state of, of the leaders that might be in that space could really yield to some interesting problem solving. You know, what demands and external pressures might they be feeling? You know, how professionally safe are they in certain situations? So for the coach in me wants to delve in deeper and learn more and not just <laughs> react in a way that might make anyone professionally unsafe safe. But I do think it's something to watch for and to think about um, how to work through, which would be an interesting coaching challenge. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about real-time problem solving? Would that include methods like A3 problem solving? It can. It absolutely can. Uh, A3 is a tool. So if, again, we think about um, our principal systems tools and results, I think that the scientific method is the the methodology and the principles within that are, are what we coach to. And there's lots of different tools that you could pull in that process. One common one we do use is the A3 because it gives us a way to easily on one piece of paper, um, pen and pencil and paper, by the way, not to be a reporting tool, but to be something that is actively worked in it. Um, so absolutely, A3 is one of those tools. But to me, it's more about the the method and the, the principled way we approach improvement um, and not necessarily the artifact or tool that we use in order to do it. Okay. It's a question from uh, Stephen. How do you respond when people say, well, our business is different or we can't do that here, uh, particularly if that comes from people in machine shop environments where there are sharp edges on Parts, heavy parts, other risks, et cetera. Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of what this does when you're embarking on such a cohesive approach and principled approach on, to improvement is, you know, to show it's a new day, it has to be a new day. And so for me, leadership... Um, building that trust within employees throughout the organization is really critical. And so, you know, in order to get people to participate in improvement, they've got to see that when they call things out or when things are um, shared, that they are then acted upon and there are, are solutions that come as a part of it. So to me, that that speaks to the fact that we might not have had successful um improvement methodologies or processes or systems in place before. And now we need to work hard in order to build that trust and to show that it is a new day um, to engage folks in that improvement. Now, having said that, there's always going to be your early adopters. There's mm -hmm. always going to be your wait and sees and your laggards in terms of who's going to show up and participate out of the gate. But getting that momentum, being able to solve problems in as close to real time and make changes. One of the things that we use in value capture is we call it a, a paint the curbs moment. There was a, a safety event in a parking 
garage where people were tripping and it learned through problem solving that the reason why there were some safety events happening here is that people were having a hard time actually seeing that there was a curb or a little bit of a change in elevation at this one spot in the in the parking lot. And so through problem solving, they they decided that as the root cause was that they would paint the curbs to make them de detectable for folks. And mm -hmm. so we use that as a way to talk about, OK, what are what is your paint the curbs moment? What is the one thing that people know is a risk or may have even called out in the past that management can actively do and change to show that we're serious about this and safety is of the utmost importance and make that difference to try to win folks into um, building that trust mm -hmm. and participating in in the improvement. Yeah. And one thing I would add from, you know, hearing about Paul O'Neill's story and the Alcoa story, having heard him talk about it and re, uh, having read about it, he went into Alcoa where people had this mindset of, well, this is a dangerous industry. And he didn't set the goal of saying, well, we're going to be the safest heavy metals production facility com company in the world, that we're going to be the safest place to work. And it's not like there was a lot of, um, well, this is just the way it is. We sadly hear that in healthcare where people say, well, our patients are very sick. Um, infections are in sad, but inevitable. And I, I think at some point, somebody's got to say, um, no, we've got to change that mindset. Because as we talked about this morning, we heard someone else from the value capture team talking where we are here locally, um, great case studies of, of, of huge reductions in infections and harm that a lot of times people just assume couldn't be solved. But when you use a methodology like this, there's there's great things that happen. Absolutely. There, there was a question kind of related back to Mr. O'Neill. Um, where would you recommend reading more about him and his story? So a great resource for that is a, a chapter in The Power of Habit. Um, also on Value Capture's website, there are some videos and, and things where he's spoken in different venues where you could listen in on some of that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's what I would recommend yeah. generally. Um, let's see. Um, it's more of a more of a comment. I also think you know you talk about nobody wants to go to work and get hurt. I think uh, I, you know, no manager or no CEO wants employees to get hurt, but at the same time, sometimes their behaviors get in the way of improvement. Just thoughts or reflections on on that point. Um, yeah, I think that's where, for me, understanding and really thinking about the connection between principles with values and systems, tools, and results, and how that connects to behavior is really important. And a lot of times, people thinking about behavior isn't an easy thing, but behaviors are observable things, and how people are acting in spaces is a direct result of the systems being, you know, having vulnerabilities or, or designed to deliver whatever results that we're getting. And so I think that... From a coaching perspective, again, helping to reflect with that leader for behaviors that we can observe together or demonstrate and, and think through what are the unintended consequences of some of the things that they may be doing mm -hmm. that can um, either excite the organization or shut down that creativity and improvement, I think, are important things as I coach a leader to think about um, and to help them to see. Because, again, if nobody gets out of bed wanting to come to work and do a bad job or if nobody wants anyone ever to get hurt mm -hmm. and harm still okay. occurs, it's important to think about how different cues that we give um, indirectly can can help impact and affect them. Yeah. I mean, I, I would add, I think, in, you know, in healthcare, one phrase I've learned is, you know, trying to help shift away from naming, blaming and shaming. And I think that's a powerful and helpful idea in any industry, because somebody could look at some of those Steve Spear capabilities and say, well, I'm going to set a goal of zero and I'm going to name, blame and shame people until they get there. I'm like, well, I don't think that's really how it works. At, at best, people might get better at hiding and covering up problems. I remember Dr. Deming had a story in Out of the Crisis about there was a goal of reducing workplace injuries and there was some sort of bonus promoted and uh, promised and people should stop reporting things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where expanding the definition of safety to include that emotional and professional safety is really critical. And as I said earlier, thinking about professional safety and emotional safety can be key cultural indicators in your organization um, to learn from and to be able to establish the right conditions where everyone can say yes to those three questions right. Paul O'Neill charges us with for every day. Yeah. What does living respect look like mm -hmm. and what do we do and is it in line with that? And there's a couple of times where I've posted those questions on, on social media, and sadly, the response is pretty heavily towards saying no. They can't answer yes to some or all of those questions, um, which shows we have a big challenge. 
Absolutely. Big challenge, big opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. Um, so uh, talking about managing up, you know, many leaders uh, seem to think safety is the responsibility of a safety department. Mm-hmm. Do you have any suggestions on how we can sort of try to manage up and open, you know, CEO eyes to their responsibility um, to lead and to take ownership for that? Yeah. It's an interesting question. I think that to me, that's, you know, the the transformation and the the greatness potential that exists in an organization is whether or not we can activate everyone in the organization. And so I think that thought of, you know, how many problem solvers exist and and how many problems does that allow us to be able to solve? In my experience in safety organizations within healthcare specifically, you see them actually do root cause analyses, typically about 1% of the events that happen over the course of a year. And so So think about the 99% of learning that we don't get, the 99% of risk that still exists out there every day where a harm event could occur. Um, But really to to get to that point is to, for me to think about, you know, the only way that we're going to be able to accelerate. And I I think, again, from a change management perspective, how we accelerate or manage through the change curve is very important. And so getting everybody actively involved in that is a key way to be able to solve more problems. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've got a couple more questions here. Um, do you have any tips for people? How can we be more proactive in identifying risks instead of just responding to incidents? Yeah, I think the the safety walk as a leader standard work item is a great way to do that. Um, and I say leader standard work, but I don't mean that it should just be leaders. I think all of us in our space should be empowered to be able to call out risks that are identified. But again, it's not just about getting people to speak up and call things out. We need to be able to have some sort of a process or infrastructure on what you do when things are called out and how we solve those problems is critical. So I think that uh, the safety walk is a great way to train our eyes to see. A lot of times safety risks can be normalized in our work. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that, you know, if I'm a clinician, I might um, stick myself with a needle. I know as a nurse, I might tweak my back trying to properly position a patient. I know that, you know, working on a loading dock, that if something's over 50 pounds, I have the opportunity, if I don't follow the proper technique, to injure myself, or sometimes even if I do follow that proper technique. Um, So I think it's important uh, that we understand what it means to be safe and we denormalize some of the safety risks that we walk by every day. And for me, the best way to do that is just to get better at seeing them and acknowledging Mm -hmm. them as such, as harm potential. Yeah. And I think safety walks or process checks, and you hear stories of, of hospitals where, again, thinking back to the checklist, the checklist is only as effective as your discipline in using it, as I sadly demonstrated today. But, um, you know, there are organizations where I think that that normalization that you talk about, uh, someone decides to cut corners, they skip the checklist, nothing bad happens. It kind of reinforces it, like, oh, maybe we don't really need the checklist. And then, unfortunately, um, then a bad event occurs. And that could have been headed off if you can call it, you know, oversight, supervision, or, or just trying to create an environment where like, maybe somebody would have spoken up and pulled the end on cord. Hey, why, why do we stop doing the timeouts and, and the checklists? Right. Um, Something else in there, Mark, I think, is that it's important to make the safe thing to do, the right and easy thing to do. Um, and to me, it's also that, you know, thinking of, I didn't talk a lot about the trade-off triangle, but cost quality, lead time, and having safety be a part of that quality. You know, there's never a trade-off between safety or quality and either of those two things. So, you know, sometimes it can be misconstrued that in order to, to do something um, faster, we've got to do it at a lesser quality or, um something to do and more quality might take more time or cost us more. So really understanding from a principal perspective, the no trade-offs mm-hmm. and knowing that true optimization comes at the perfect balance of quality, quality, cost and time. And then understanding that, um, there, that, uh, there will be, um, no trade-offs with respect to safety. Yeah. And again, a lot of that is mindset of not just accepting the way it's always been, because there are ways of trying to uh, reduce lead time that could have a negative effect on quality. We don't want to encourage a hospital to push patients out the door before they're ready, um, for example. And, And so it's just a matter of not accepting the way it's always been or the way we've always done it and challenging ourselves to be 
more creative and, and to push ourselves in a, in a constructive way. And that, that's one thing that's always been inspiring about Mr. O'Neill's um, story and example. Absolutely. And it's the discipline, not just at the frontline level to follow those processes and to make safety the right thing to do, but at leaders as well. Um, there's a discipline and a rigor to, mm-hmm. yeah. to all of it for everyone. Okay. Maybe one more question here. You talk about stop work. What does that mean in healthcare? We, we sometimes struggle to translate stopping an assembly line to stopping the work in healthcare. Yeah. For me, I think it's really calling out that there is a, a safety event or a safety or harm risk potential. Um, so it might not be stopping an automated line, but I shouldn't be continually expected to perform a, a task that I know has a vulnerability or a safety risk until we've been able to actually solve that risk. So you can think of a lot of different ways. You know, people are always bumping into doors. They're always, um, you know, inventory can lead to an equipment placement can lead to space concerns, things like that. But, you know, stopping the work, um, calling out to me, it's more, you know, being yeah. empowered to call it out and draw attention to it and then get the focus it needs in order to solve yeah. this problem. And, and I think one adaptation that might be reasonable in healthcare is, you know, manufacturing an assembly line, you can stop the line. And the only harm is to customer delivery, production targets, maybe profit. But, mm-hmm. you know, in healthcare, um, there might be some processes where there's no impact on stopping the line. There might be some situations where uh, you're literally not going to stop the life-saving work that's going on, mm-hmm. but you're, you're going to flag the issue and follow up as close to real time as you can. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you might also think of it as you need to stop the line and you still need to meet the need in that moment Mm -hmm. with the utmost safety that's possible. And then offline um, start that problem solving process as well. Absolutely. Okay. well, we are out of time, but I want to thank you, Megan, for doing the webinar and and being here with us today. I encourage you if you have follow up questions, you can reach out to her via Twitter or via email. Would encourage you to go check out the Value Capture website, which you see on screen there, valleycapturellc.com. And again, please come check out some of the resources that we have on the Kinexus website. So um, for a lot of you, um, you might be on tomorrow with uh, the Banner and Rippy Show. The rest of you, I hope you'll see you next week and join us with Barry O'Reilly. Thanks for being here. Thanks.